we practice praying for illumination before we listen to the Scripture. Just after the last Scripture here, David rejoices and yet asks, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. So, God, we ask that you would work within us to make us able to pay attention and willing to work to understand, to listen to the sermon and apply it, to let your word dwell in us richly. So our first passage is Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Uh, these scriptures today are from the New King James Version. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then next, King David's words. At the end of his kingship, from First Chronicles 29:11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. What could I have done? Good morning. Um, I'm Andrew Sharp. I'm an elder here, and it's my privilege to preach every once in a while. And this morning, Matt asked me to preach on the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's all. Just those three things. So I figured we'll go for an hour and a half, break for lunch, assemble at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock we'll do breakout sessions, and we'll have everyone home for dinner. So um, this is actually a, a pretty... I think, succinct uh, sermon, because I'm really talking about it in the context of the Lord's Prayer. And you'll notice we use the, the New King James Version. I, have to, I, I don't have the screen in front of me, so I'm going to have to pivot every once in a while. Um, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever is not in every translation. And... There, there's a lot of scholarly debate as to you know, when it was added and 
whether it was Jesus' words exactly. Um, and I'm not going to take everyone down that rabbit hole, um, even though I kind of went down it. No. Um, the point is the language is thoroughly biblical. And we see, see it in David's prayer from First Chronicles. And I don't know. I, I have always tended to rush through that part of the Lord's Prayer because I've sort of got through the forgive us our sins, help me to forgive, daily bread, you know, keep me from temptation. And then with all that done, I, I'm sort of like, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for an ever and ever. Amen. You know, and, and wrap it up. And um, in, in preparing for this, I realize what a mistake that is on my part, because the language is such a comforting conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. I'm sorry, I have not reassembled my order. We end the Lord's Prayer acknowledging that God is God and we're not. And that is such a relief. Um, We've seen movies where other people try to be God and it does not go well. Um, I don't think that's an 80s movie reference for your bingo cards. I just saw that this morning. I'm like, I would have written this differently if I'd known we had bingo. Um, So we're going to look at the three components of what is often referred to as a doxology. Um, And for today's purpose, doxology is a expression of praise at the end of a prayer or time of worship. So kingdom. Yours, Father, is the kingdom. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't have that much experience with earthly kingdoms. Maybe you visited Disney and spent a day at the Magic Kingdom. Um, it, it's, it's a very remarkable place, but I, God's kingdom, fortunately, way fewer lines. Um, maybe... You picture, when you think of kingdoms, medieval moats and towers and, you know, and castles. And that's what comes to mind when you think of kingdoms. Um, But really, the kingdom of God, if I wanted to simplify it, it can be understood as the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe he created. The rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe. And the message of the kingdom that we see in scripture as expressed by Jesus is that God's kingdom is not an escape from earth to heaven, but it's God's reign coming from heaven to earth. And Jesus made it very clear over and over that God's kingdom is something we can expect to experience now. 
Jesus frequently talked about the kingdom in parables. Um, the sower of the seeds, the mustard seed, the pearl of greatest price, the treasure in the field. When we follow Jesus, when we're open to the Holy Spirit working through us, when we draw close to God in prayer, when we experience the peace of knowing our sins are forgiven, we can grasp the kingdom in our day-to-day lives. In Luke's gospel, Jesus declares that the kingdom of God is within us. And one author I read referred to it as the spark of God. And I sort of like that description. So when we pray for yours is the kingdom, we're acknowledging that there is a divine spark within us. And it's only from one source, from God. So God's kingdom is one we enjoy here and now. To a partial extent, because when Jesus returns and creation is restored, we will experience it fully in a way that I think is almost impossible to comprehend now. Let's turn to power. When we think of power, I think it's natural that we think of earthly power, military power, political power, physical power, financial power. But I think every example of earthly power that you can think of is something that's going to be shallow and fleeting. And there are times in our lives when we may feel powerful, maybe we accomplished something that's big and important. Maybe we feel we've been influential over others. We might have jobs where we have a substantial amount of authority over others. But I think more often we feel powerless. We watch the news. We see all the seemingly unsolvable problems in our country and around the world. We see diseases, new and old, that medical science struggles to contain and treat. We see increasingly bitter differences between people politically. We see wars and persecutions and famine and drought and natural disasters, and we despair as we realize that we cannot solve these things, certainly not as individuals, but almost all the time not as, not as people in government. I heard someone on the radio, um, a comedian, say that the news shouldn't be called the news, it should be called what's wrong. And the local news should be called, What's Wrong Near Where You Live? Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to, to not watch the news and just take a deep breath and say, Jesus, we're waiting. Fix it, please. We do cry out 
to Jesus to return and restore this, this creation, this world. And as people, we, we seem, with, with all the technology and advances and things, um, we seem angry. We, we're angry at each other. We're angry at the perceived slights we may think came from someone else. We're angry with other people for their political views. We're angry when our leaders don't behave as we think they should. Anger and fear and despair, I think, are all byproducts of powerlessness. And so when we recognize that the power is God's, that should be so encouraging. It, it should be a relief. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he reminds us that in God we have a spirit of power. And in Colossians 1.11, we read that we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. We do have a power through God to endure, to withstand, and to flourish, even if we as individuals don't feel that we can fix this broken world as, as we'd like to. And the power always is from God. In his earthly ministry, Jesus gives us glimpses of the power that we will indeed share when creation is restored. People are fed. Sickness is healed. The laws of physics are suspended. Death is defeated. I sort of liked this painting um, when I came across it for a couple of reasons. One, um, I appreciate that the artist included, you know, someone kind of dealing with the, the smell. Um, and then the, this is Lazarus being raised by Jesus, I should have said that. And the, the wrapping starting to come off just made me think of a CVS receipt. And, <laughs> would have taken a long time to wrap him up with that. Um, I, I always think it's funny when, when you hear uh, skeptics dismiss miracles, saying, well, there's no scientific basis for miracles. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I, one, one comedian I heard years ago said something like, well, Jesus turned water into wine, like there's some chardonization process that nobody else knows about. God is not constrained by his own creation. He would not be much of a God if he was. Miracles remind us that God has a power that transcends everything else. We see that power in Jesus 
And we share it through the work of the Holy Spirit. And many of us in our lives have at one time or another experienced something to us directly or someone in our orbit that is nothing short of miraculous. There is a power in the Holy Spirit that is available to us and will be fully available to us when Christ returns. Check my time. We don't have the clock in front of this. We're flying through this. Um, Glory. I don't really hear the word glory used a lot outside of a church setting. Um, It is mentioned throughout Scripture. Isaiah 6.3 declares, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 108, verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. But what is glory? I mean, what, what, what do we mean when we say to God, yours is the glory? The Hebrew word for glory in the Old Testament means heaviness or weight. And it was commonly used to express the worth of a person in the material sense and to express ideas of importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power, and so on. Jesus says, Consider the lilies of the field, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as such as these. But a good definition of the spiritual meaning of glory is the manifestation of God's presence as perceived by humans. The manifestation of God's presence as perceived by humans. In Exodus, Moses asks God to show him his glory, his manifest presence. And God says, no, we're not doing that. Um, No one can look upon God's glory directly and live. And yet we get glimpses when the angels of the Lord appeared to the shepherds to announce the imminent birth of Jesus, we're told that the glory of the Lord shone all around them. But we often struggle to find God's glory. I think that's one of the reasons we gravitate towards nature. Nature created by God and declared good. We feel that goodness in nature. I I don't think there are many people who would be ambivalent about a beautiful sunset or glorious fall foliage. We're just not wired to be indifferent to that that kind of beauty. 
we find his glory also in others and in the heavens and in beauty. Is there ever true beauty apart from beauty that God created? And we find glory in the work of Jesus, in his compassion, his humor, his anguish. When we sing, we glorify God. And that's not to say that we're giving God something that he would not otherwise have. We are praising God and declaring that his is the glory, and we want all of creation to recognize that glory. We acknowledge in our worship what God has done for humankind and for us individually, and we celebrate that. That's why worship is such an essential part of the with, with God life. There, you can check that off. On the, that's on the bingo card. It wasn't in my notes, but I added it. because Trying to play along. How can we not celebrate the manifestation of God's brilliance and majesty? How, how do we not celebrate that? In praying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory we are bundling together three immense attributes of God. Huge attributes that we, that we celebrate even as we struggle to comprehend it. And we're not just celebrating what God is and who He is and what He's done. When we worship and declare His glory, we're reaffirming that we are heirs to his kingdom right now. And we can experience God's power in us as we wait for Jesus' return. And we can and we should exult in God's manifest presence whenever and wherever we perceive it. So when your comings and goings this week, in your prayer time and your interactions in your time outside in nature. Look for God's presence. Call it to mind. Think about his power as he works in you and in the people around you. And enjoy the peace and intimacy that is available to us in his kingdom. It's so easy to miss these things. I miss them all the time. We need to seek them out. Power, the glory, the kingdom, all attributes of God for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we declare that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that you are God, that you are sovereign over your creation.
And we don't have to be. I pray that for each of us that you would remove any element of burden that we may feel for thinking that we can fix everything, even as we long to. Thank you for your reign over us, over this planet, over the universe. In Jesus' name, amen.